Well, it's good to be back again with you folks here at Calvary. This is an unexpected trip. I have an expected visit here, I think in May. I'm on the calendar to come. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Lori's the calendar keeper at our home. I don't know who keeps your schedule and your calendar, but Lori's the one who always knows the social events. So it's pretty typical on a Sunday for me to say to her, so what do we got coming up this week? And she said, well, really, you know, we've got the Northwest Indiana Women's Banquet. We have dear friends who 30 years ago uh, started the Northwest Indiana Women's Center, which has now got five different um, places where women who are pregnant and, you know, crisis pregnancy centers with being able to see babies being formed in their mother's wombs on sonograms. Uh, And the newest one is in the city of Gary, Indiana. Uh, Little babies are being rescued and uh, brought to term and given life because of that ministry. So we look forward to that every year. She said, other than that, we really don't have anything on the schedule. I said, we don't have anything this weekend? And she said, no. Then we got the understanding that Miss Ola went to be with the Lord. I don't remember how we first heard about that, but sent a text to Brother Dave and said, we're praying for you. And I said, if I can, I'd like to come down this weekend. And so it was a privilege to be able to be here to honor Miss Ola yesterday. And then Dave said, well, why don't you preach? <clears throat> and then he wanted to know right away, what am I going to preach on? <laughs> Think about that. Why don't you preach? What's your topic and title, right? So I said, well, give me a minute. And it wasn't, it wasn't much longer, right, before I sent back, I think I've got it. Because I was thinking of Miss Ola and the legacy that she's leaving. The legacy that she's leaving. So I wanted to talk about legacy and then thought, well, you know, inheritance. So we're going to talk about inheritance and legacy. Well, those are two different sides of the spectrum. Inheritance is what we receive and legacy is what we leave. I don't know if you were like me, but when I was a kid, I loved reading stories about treasure. You know, like treasure Island. Did, did you ever picture going up into Grandma's attic and finding the long-lost family jewels? right? Or going out in the backyard and finding that somebody had buried some kind of a box that had silver or gold coins or something? I always loved those kinds of stories of finding treasure. Uh, There was some rumor when I was a kid, my dad referenced some rich Tabor forebear, but he was was a legend. I don't even know his name, and he certainly didn't leave us anything (laughs) if there was such a person. You know, you like to think that you get a letter in the mail someday and says some long-lost relative who was supremely wealthy died and left you all kinds of good stuff. Talk about inheritance. But... Far more important than whatever inheritance we receive when a loved one dies is the spiritual inheritance. It's not the material goods, it's the spiritual inheritance. So I want to turn your attention to uh, to the book of Romans. We're going to look at several different passages because this is a topical message, not an exegetical one per se. But we do want to look at the text and get to the heart of the author of each of these texts. The first is in Romans 9, and of course it's not unusual for someone who's in Jewish ministry to preach from Romans 9 through 11. But I want to contrast the spiritual legacy of the Jewish people and the Gentiles. 
Many people assume, especially since Lori and I have been in Jewish ministry for more than four decades, that, that I have a Jewish heritage. And as far as I know, there's no Jewish blood in the Tabor line, all the way back to Noah, though we haven't traced it back that far. I mean, if I did the 23 and Me thing, maybe some of you have done that, and it showed that there were some traces of Jewish lineage in the Tabor family, I'd be very happy to hear that. But as far as I know, we're Gentiles all the, way, all the way back. I don't think I'm even from the line of Shem. So, Gentiles and Jews are how God divides the world. We divide the world in lots of different ways in missions. We talk about home missions and foreign missions. We talk about reached and unreached peoples. We talk about the 1040 window. God talks about the nation and the nations. There is one people that he uniquely owns as his own the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. And everybody else are the nations. God said to Abram back in Genesis 12, uh, I will make you a great nation. And he said, I'll make you a, a great nation. And then he said, in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But to the Jewish people, he uses specific language. He talks about the fact that Israel is his inheritance. There's a lot of talk about inheritance in the early verses of the Bible, the Torah, the books of Moses. The word for inheritance is found all over the place, and it's usually in reference to the land that Israel is going to inherit. God is going to bring them to the land and They're going to conquer their enemies with God's help, and the land is going to be divided, and each of the tribes is to get an inheritance. But God says in in the end of the Torah, in Deuteronomy 32, that Israel is his inheritance. The people, the nation themselves, are God's inheritance. God made special promises to the Jewish people that he made to no one else. And when Paul, the apostle, who of course himself was Jewish named Shaul, Saul, comes to faith in the Jewish Messiah on the road to Damascus. And in the most theological of all Paul's epistles, he takes three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, to deal with the Jewish question, God's relationship to his people. And it's that section that we're going to begin with in Romans 9. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience Bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now you can think about Paul who is trained to think not just logically but legally. Paul was an expert in the Torah, in the laws of Moses. And as a Pharisee steeped in rabbinic tradition and learning how to think critically, logically, legally. Paul now brings us into the courtroom, raises his right hand and says, I, Paul, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, Holy Spirit. That's verse 1 of chapter 9. So we say, okay, Paul, what is it that you want to testify to? What is it that you put yourself under oath that you're going to trust the Holy Spirit to tell us the truth? Verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Now we scratch our heads a little bit and say, wait a minute, Paul, you brought us into the courtroom to say you're going to tell the truth, that your heart is breaking, that you have 
continuing sorrow, unceasing grief? What is it that causes you to pillow your head at night and tears to drench that pillow? Why do you have heartache wherever you go? Aren't you the guy who writes the book of Philippians? That letter to the Philippians where you talk about joy? Aren't you the guy who writes Pantate Kairate, Rejoice Evermore? Aren't you that guy? What is this sorrow? What breaks your heart? Well, he tells us, verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So, okay, now wait a minute. You're saying that if it were possible, you would be separated from Christ? The word accursed has the, the real sense, not just a hint of, but the real sense of being condemned forever. Paul's saying, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. My heart is breaking to the point that if it were possible, I would go to hell and be separated from Christ. Maybe much learning hath made thee mad, Paul. This makes no sense to us. Who in their right mind would say, I wish I could be damned to hell forever? Why would you say that? Paul says, if it were possible, I would trade my salvation if it would mean the salvation of my kinsmen according to flesh. So wait a minute, who are you talking about? Paul says, verse 4, who are Israelites? Just in case we don't remember that he's Jewish. Paul's very proud of his Jewishness. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He talks about being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul was very much steeped in his culture and tradition. Very much a part of the nation of Israel. Paul says, yeah, I'm Jewish. And then Paul says, excuse me just a minute. He excuses himself. He steps away from the witness stand. And he finds over here on the side a treasure chest. And this treasure chest is sizable, and it's heavy, and it's got a star of David on it. And Paul bends down, and he starts dragging across the stage. And you can, you can hear it scraping as he says, I want to enter this treasure chest into state's evidence. And then Paul lifts up the treasure chest, and we are very curious to see what is inside. Paul dips inside, and he pulls out some very precious gems. Think of some rubies or some sapphires. And he begins to enumerate as he pulls out these very precious, expensive jewels, what it is that he's holding in his hand. First, he says the adoption. The adoption. This is God adopting the Jewish people as his own. Now, we're not talking about the call of Abraham here. We're not talking about the patriarchal period at all. We're talking about in the book of Exodus when God sends Moses and he says, I'm going to make you my people. When God adopts the nation at Mount Sinai and gives them his covenant. So the adoption belongs to the Jewish people. Adoption as sons. Think about this. Adoption as sons taking somebody into your family who's not naturally born of your loins, saying you have the full rights. This is not someone who's a foster child. This is someone who is given all the rights and privileges of sonship. He says, and the glory. 
Yesterday, Pastor Dave, as part of the funeral, in a wonderful way, described the glory of God, the God who dwells in inexpressible light, the God before whom, when even a portion of his glory is revealed, people fall on their faces. Isaiah says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips when the glory of God is revealed to him in Isaiah chapter 6. This God, the God who chooses to dwell with his people in the glory cloud, the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day that took up residence in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and ultimately in the temple, the very glory of God was with the Jewish people. And now he reaches into that treasure chest and he pulls out a string of pearls and he talks about the covenants which God gave to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant which was passed on to Isaac and to Jacob, the Mosaic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, all these precious promises that God made to the descendants of Abraham belongs to the Jewish people. The giving of the law. It was the Jewish people who were gathered at Mount Sinai who said all that the Lord has said we will do. The temple service, a holy God who wants to have relationship with fallen mankind. The God who is of pure eyes and to behold iniquity, Habakkuk tells us. God can't even look upon sin. So what does he do? He doesn't just destroy mankind as he had promised in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. Soul that sins, it shall die. The scripture is very clear. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. Well, they didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. There was a separation between God and man. And it took a sacrifice for God to overlook that sin. The word kippur from Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, is the word to cover. When Noah built the ark, he covered the ark with pitch. It's to, to cover over. And that's what the sacrificial system did. It allowed a holy God to have a relationship with sinful man because sin was covered. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is not a small thing when God gives the temple services to his people. And the promises. And now he pulls out fistfuls of the promises that God made to the Jewish people who are the fathers, the patriarchs of Israel and from whom and now he reaches in and pulls out the most precious diamond, the sparkling jewel, the thing that mankind most needs is the Messiah, the one of whom the prophet spoke who would come and not cover over sin but remove sin once for all not a priest who every day would make sacrifices in the temple, but the priest, our great high priest, who having made sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. The Messiah, according to the flesh. Yes, Jewish. In the fullness of time, God sends forth his son, born of a woman, a Jewish woman named Miriam, born under the law, born in fulfillment of what the prophets had spoken, the Messiah. This treasure chest belongs to the Jewish people. And now we say, okay, Paul, I really don't get this. You promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, Holy Spirit. Your heart is crushed 
because the Jewish people have this treasure chest? When was the last time you cried for the rich people in town? Why are you crying for the folks with this great spiritual inheritance? It belongs to them. Are you saying it's possible to have this treasure chest and to miss heaven so much that you'd be willing to trade your salvation so that they could get out of hell? Paul says that's exactly what I'm saying. Because the key of faith is what's necessary to unlock the treasure chest. The key of faith is what's necessary to appropriate the riches that God has given to us. There are all kinds of illustrations of this, right? Just because something belongs to you doesn't mean that you have the benefit of it. Think of the guy who buys the lottery ticket and hits the winning number. He's got $10 million coming to him, but that, that little piece of paper got stuck in the car seat or thrown away with the lunch bag at McDonald's. He owned it, but it has no benefit to him. To have this rich treasure chest and to miss heaven is one of the the great mysteries and sorrows of human history. That's why Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. After all the generations that have looked for the Messiah, and he comes in the fullness of time. He comes unto his own, John tells us, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. What is the inheritance of the Jewish people? It is spiritual wealth. It is untold wealth like no other people has ever received. Well, what about us as Gentiles? You know, do we, do we inherit anything? Well, let's go over to Ephesians. We'll stick with Paul, but we'll change books. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's writing a letter, and he's writing to a church that probably has Jewish believers, but it's primarily Gentile believers. As the gospel begins to go out, it first goes to the Jewish people only. Do you remember in the book of Acts? It says because of the great persecution, Acts 8.1, the church is scattered. Only the apostles remain in Jerusalem. And as they go, they're preaching the gospel, but the text says to Jews only. Because this is a Jewish message about a Jewish Messiah who has come. But then, by the grace of God, folks begin to preach the gospel in Antioch to the Gentiles. And the door is open for non-Jewish people to come. And Paul wants us who are not physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to understand what our spiritual legacy is. He detailed the Jewish treasure chest in Romans 9. What is our, our inheritance? Verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which was performed in the flesh by human hands. Listen, this is the sign of the covenant. God calls Abram in Genesis 12. He cuts the covenant with him in Genesis 15. And Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed God and God counted him as righteous. 
And the covenant of circumcision doesn't come until Genesis 17. Paul makes a big point of this in Romans chapter 4. But here he's saying that the circumcision called you the uncircumcision. And even to this day, among some of the Jewish people, and referring to the Gentiles, they don't use the term goyim, they use the term uncircumcised. It's a big deal not to be part of the circumcision. It's the dividing wall. It's that separation that says, we are and you are not. Paul's talking to us. And what does he say? Remember that at that time, you were separate from Messiah. That, that treasure, that diamond, that sparkles, that jewel that is the desire of all nations is in the Jewish treasure chest. Paul says you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. There was no inheritance for you in the land. Now let's remember that God promised in Genesis chapter 12 that there would be a blessing for all the families of the earth. He didn't just talk about his physical descendants. He said every part of humanity was going to be blessed through him. And listen, you see that God is a God who loves Gentiles even under the old covenant. Remember Moses father-in-law Jethro he was a priest of Midian a pagan priest says now I know that Jehovah Yahweh the God of Israel is the true God you hear of Rahab who in Jericho says they went that way when she had hidden the spies up on her roof why did she risk her life she said we've heard about the fame of the Lord your God we know about that Red Sea crossing thing that was pretty impressive I'm with you We know the story of Ruth, the Moabitess. We know of God sending Jonah, the reluctant prophet, to Nineveh. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, if God told you to go to ISIS, how excited would you be? But that's exactly what Nineveh was in that day. Nineveh was the ISIS of that day. Jonah didn't want to go. But even before he gets thrown into the sea because he's running away from God... The sailors on board ship, after Jonah says, well, I I actually fear the Lord of the Hebrews, the one who made the heavens and the earth. And these guys who had been sacrificing to their pagan deities, now they're praying to the God of Israel. Even before he got to Nineveh, there were Gentiles who understood the truth of who the creator God was. When the temple is dedicated in 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon says, look, when the Gentiles come to this place and they pray, they lift their hands toward heaven. Lord, hear from heaven and answer their prayers. There's a court of the Gentiles. There's a place for God-fearers to come and to worship the true and living God. But you could only go to that place. And when you go to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, you can see the replica. I think the original is down in the basement. They don't have that on display. Of the sign in Greek that says, if you go past here, attention Gentiles. That's how it starts. Attention Gentiles. If, if you pass this place, you do so at the risk of your own life. The dividing line between Jew and Gentile, even for those who are worshiping the God of Israel, was a very real one. You could approach, but only so far. Paul says, you are strangers to the covenants of promise. 
And then he summarizes it by saying, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, which spiritual legacy would you choose? Which inheritance would you rather have? The rich treasure chest or to be without hope and without God in the world? Well, that's a no-brainer. Who would say, I don't want anything, thanks. Just misery, hopelessness, despair. How many folks are living in our world today without hope? How many people are living in despair? How many people are walking in darkness How many people have no idea who the God of Israel is? Who have no idea that Messiah has come, shed his blood, raised in power from the dead, promising to return? Everybody is born with a spiritual legacy or inheritance. Every one of us. But it doesn't matter if you own the treasure chest or you're born separate from Israel. Your spiritual condition is exactly the same if you don't have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, we become the children of God. And just as God adopts Israel as his own people, so we as Gentiles, through faith in the Lord Jesus and his finished work, become joint heirs with the Jewish people. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Pastor read for us the first Peter passage, which in many ways is a parallel. Peter and Paul, two very different authors from very different backgrounds, both Jewish, obviously, But Peter, a Galilean fisherman, wrote those stirring words of that doxology of 1 Peter chapter 1 that Pastor opened our time with here this morning. This is Paul's summary statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is the same audience that he says to, in writing to in Ephesians 2, you are without hope and without God in the world. You are separate from Israel. The promises, the covenants, the sacrifices, the temple service, none of that was yours. Same audience, but Paul's now writing to people who are in Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When I was a kid, we used to sing a little song called Every Promise in the Book is Mine, Every Chapter, Every Verse, Every Line. It had a very singable melody, but it's not very good theology. (laughs) There's a lot of promises that God made to the Jewish people that belong to Israel. And we ought not to mistake what God promised to national Israel and spiritualize those for the church. But it's absolutely true that the full riches of what it means to be a Messiah, there is no difference. Paul makes this very clear. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We're sold into sin, and we need a Savior, and the same Savior and his sacrifice is sufficient for all. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Can you imagine what it would be like to be holy and blameless? When was the last time you felt just a twinge of guilt? Just, Just a bit of remorse for something that you said that you wished you hadn't said? 
for a little flare-up of anger that was really not deserved, for that unkind word you said to a family member or a co-worker, to be holy and blameless. That's what we're headed for, folks. We're in the process of being made like Jesus, being conformed to his image, being sanctified, and one day we're going to be glorified. What Miss Ola is already experiencing is what every believer will one day have as our inheritance, to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Here it is. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not like, well, if the Gentiles would just try a little harder to do better, then maybe we'll give them a few of the jewels over here. No. No, it's what Jesus has done. It's a finished work of Christ. The Messiah has done it all according to the kind intention of his will. The loving kindness of God, unfathomable, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. You see, it's always connected to the Lord Jesus. It's in the beloved. The pinnacle of what God has done is seen in the face of the Lord Jesus. It's all about him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, here is that riches that we're talking about. We're we're not impecunious. We are not without resource. We have the fullness of the riches of a God who is boundless in his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Your heart should be swelling with the goodness, the kindness, the grace, the mercy of God, which he lavished, he poured out. How will God not who didn't spare his own son, not freely give us all things, Scripture says. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Messiah, things in heaven, things on the earth. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who are first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Should be to the praise of his glory. Look at the end of verse 14. To the praise of his glory. This is God's story. This is God taking fallen humanity and changing us. Our destination is hell. And we are heaven bound. We're already citizens. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. We're seated with the Lord already in the heavenly places. It's unfathomable what we already have. And yet we walk around sometimes with our heads down and we say this is a tough world. And we get, we get overwhelmed by the evil in our world. Is there a day that goes by that you don't get some bad news? I mean even if you don't turn the TV on. Bad news abounds. But look, set our minds on things above. Think about what we have in Christ Jesus. The end of the story is already known to us. 
We should be living in victory. And we should be passing on an inheritance to our children. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. You remember singing that song just a little while ago? I cannot hear that song without picturing a little four-year-old boy named Micah Schwartz. Scott and Corey Schwartz were newly appointed Life and Messiah missionaries. Scott's a Jewish believer from Philadelphia. Grew up in a really dysfunctional home. Was just wasted on drugs and into the drug, sex, and rock and roll thing that the devil traps so many folks into. And God, in a glorious way, broke through in this young man's life and gave him a godly woman from Vermont. And they were, Scott was driving truck, driving Thomas Dairy truck. If you want some good chocolate milk, go up to Vermont and get some Thomas Dairy chocolate milk. Best I've ever had. So I went up there for their commissioning service in their church. And got in on a Saturday night and little Micah is four years old and he's upstairs. And it's dark upstairs. And he's in bed. They've already prayed with him. Put him to bed. We're downstairs talking. And all of a sudden I hear this little voice. Pitch perfect. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. I said, is that Micah? And Corey said, yep, he's afraid of the dark. So every night he sings himself to sleep with bless the Lord, oh my soul. Think about that. How does a four-year-old boy come to sing that song? Because he has parents who are doing what Deuteronomy 6 says. Right? When you're walking in the way, when you're in your house, when you take every teachable moment to point your kid to the Lord. We have influence. We don't have control. There are plenty of examples of kids who grew up in godly Christian homes who are out in the deep woods today. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it as a principle. It's not a promise. Kids grow up. They make their own choices. But you do have influence as parents. And it's not just what we teach. It's what we model, because there's a lot more caught than taught. What kind of a legacy are you leaving to your kids? It's one of the reasons I wanted to be here this weekend was to honor Miss Ola. A life well lived leaves a legacy. I'm not talking about what's in the bank account. I'm talking about what's in the spiritual treasure chest. And each of us as individuals have an opportunity to leave a legacy. You may be single, you may never be a parent, but you will leave a legacy. In the lives of the people around you, when you identify as a follower of the Lord Jesus, you get to shine as a light in a dark world to point people to the Savior. What kind of legacy are you leaving? And let's remember, this is all to the glory of God. All things are going to be summed up in him one day. Psalm 2 God promises, the Father promises the Son that he's going to make the nations his inheritance. And then the next verse says he's going to crush the rebels. The Lord's going to purify this earth. We 
enter the millennial kingdom, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, to live in a kingdom of righteousness and peace, Garden of Eden kind of living restored, and even at the end of the millennial kingdom, another great and final rebellion because of the wickedness of mankind. It's not our environment, folks. It's the evil that is within us. And for that, Christ died. Not just to cover our sins, but to remove it. And one day, when he comes in glory, and every knee bows and every tongue confesses, we will have the joyful privilege of saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All glory to him. The songs that we sang today were so appropriate for this message. What's your heart condition today? If you haven't yet put your trust in the Lord Jesus as Abraham did, Abraham believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. You have a Savior who has completed the work. There's nothing yet for you to do but trust him to receive that gift of grace so freely offered. And then having done so, you are adopted into his forever family and you are seated in the heavenly places. It's reserved for you. It's secured for you. But how are you living your life today? Are you living in light of eternity? Not just praying that the Lord comes to get us out of this mess, but saying, Lord, Help me to be your representative. Help me to make a difference in my generation. I've got nine grandkids. Eight of them are boys. Ten and under. The oldest is ten. Pray for us. (laughs) It's a great privilege to have an influence on grandchildren. Think of the world that they're growing up in. May God help us. Sister Ola's race is run. She's finished her course. The crown of righteousness that's laid up for her is already on her head. But for you and for me, we have some running yet to do. And none of us knows how much longer the race is. The Lord Jesus could come back today, right? You believe that? The Lord Jesus could come back today. May the Lord help us to live in light of what is really important and in the prospect of the blessed hope of his soon return. God bless you. Thank you for your support for Life and Messiah. On behalf of the Life family on four continents, eight countries around the world, thank you for your prayers and your support. There's some material over on the table. If you don't know anything about life, come on over and we'll be glad to give you something before we go. Pastor, how do you want to close? Pray and, oh, good, I get to pray again. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are awesome in your glory and in your generosity, how you lavish your grace and your mercy upon us. We who are the least worthy of the least of your favors have experienced so much. Grace upon grace. Father, Seal your word to the hearts of each of the folks who are here. May your spirit continue as we leave this place and go from here. Continue to bring the truths of your word to our hearts. Help us by your spirit.
to live lives that are worthy of the calling with which we've been called. To the praise of your glory, we ask. In Yeshua's name, even Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.